Good morning on this Saturday morning. Welcome to our devotional, Golden Nuggets, Food for Thought and for the Imagination. If you've been joining us, we've been talking about Jesus Christ, our High Priest, how His sacrifice and all that He accomplished for us uh, brought about a change in the priesthood, being called after the Order of Melchizedek. Also, it brought about a change in the law. The law could never make anyone perfect. Uh, and no one could keep the law. Christ himself was the only one that kept the law and fulfilled the righteous demands that it had concerning uh, our our way of life as far as righteousness was concerned. But it also did something else. The work of Christ and the sacrifice of Christ and the forgiveness of sins resulted in the message of repentance preaching the message of repentance, which deals with the issue of our guilt before God and turning from our sins being forgiven, our sins having them remitted. And then, of course, we as believers believing in the resurrection of Christ. In that resurrection, He is alive right now, seated at the right hand of the Father as our High Priest, interceding on our behalf on a daily basis, especially because of man as a Christian uh, or as an individual will still sin, whether he knows it or doesn't know it, whether it's conscious or unconscious, whether it's in word or in deed. And there the precious blood of Jesus, which is alive, it's a living blood, cleanses us from all that we repent and ask forgiveness for, according to uh, 1 John in chapter 1, verse 9, that He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins when? When we confess our sins, when we repent, when we turn from them. Uh, the psalmist David in Psalm 51, he gives a good explanation of what happened to him. How guilt just eats the person on the inside. We gave the example of Peter and Judith yesterday. How Judith could just not handle the guilt that he was feeling. That condemnation. And found that it was easier for him to just hang himself and deal with it than any other way. Peter, on the other hand, he bitterly uh, uh, cried and repented. And, of course, it was a harsh thing to do to deny the Lord. But nonetheless, the conscience of an individual pricking and affecting them. Even Paul, when he was knocked down to the ground on the road to Damascus in, in, in the book of Acts, as he was uh, uh, going in chapter 9, he was knocked down to the ground. And uh, the Lord told him, it's hard for you to kick against these little uh, uh, sticks that have spikes on them. Uh, you can feel it. Your conscience all of a sudden is being woken up by all these atrocities that you're doing against the church. Literally, he was shaking up the, uh, the church and he was creating havoc amongst it. And of course, the, the Lord deal, dealt with him in that. Now, we had made mention that the conscience can be defiled, it can be purged, it can be uh, seared, uh, so many other things. But uh, we still have quite a bit of ground to cover, so uh, if you'll continue to join us, we'll be able to explain as much as we can to help us understand our Christian walk of faith. How walking in the Spirit and walking in faith and walking in love is affected by a guilty conscience.
conscience, making us non-operational in the Lord until we deal with it. Now, in the book of Titus, in chapter 1, verse 15 and 16, the scripture says, Unto the pure all things are pure. The only way that those are pure in heart are they also pure in conscience. Their conscience not condemning them. Their conscience not uh, crying out. Uh, but basically, their conscience agreeing with the Word of God, agreeing with the Spirit of God, agreeing with whatever command of God, walking in faith, walking in love, walking in obedience unto the Lord, so that unto the pure all things are pure. And they are. Uh, you know, Jesus on the Sermon of the Mount talked about, Blessed are those that are pure in heart, they shall see God. And it said, but to them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. Why? Because it has to do with the conscience. It, it, people call good bad now, and they call bad good. They've reversed the role. How is that possible? That's only possible when the conscience, like the apostle is talking here, has been defiled. It's so bad that it cannot distinguish right or wrong. It is literally so tainted and so contaminated, whether it's ceremonially or, or uh, morally, that it cannot distinguish. Therefore, it will call evil good and it'll call good evil. And that is the day and age that we live in because of the conscience of both the believer and and the unbeliever. Now, the Apostle Paul goes on in verse number 16 to describe something very interesting. Now, uh, finishing off in 15 verse, it says, uh, that are defiled, uh, and the unbelieving is nothing pure, but even their mind and conscience is defiled. Notice, he describes that the mind of an individual uh can be defiled. And, and those that are defiled, their mind and their conscience work together to agree so that they cannot distinguish right from wrong, good from evil or from bad. They cannot distinguish these things. They cannot distinguish between that's pure and holy and that which is unholy and unpure. Now in verse 16, he said, they profess that they know God but in their works, they deny him. Or let's just use the word in their actions. They deny him. Being abominable and disobedient unto every good work reprobate. The word reprobate that is used there in the scripture is basically unapproved. That means they have been rejected. They're worthless, literally and morally. They're a castaway. They have been rejected because their conscience, basically thinking that they're doing something right and good. Now, this is the, the case with the Apostle Paul. As he was persecuting the church of Jesus Christ in his day and age and time, he actually believed that he was doing something good, that he was doing something right. And that is no different than a lot of the religions that exist today where they will literally torture, kill, and do 
unspeakable things unto Christians because they believe that the God or gods that they serve are the correct gods, are the right gods, are the only God, and they will, because of a lack of conscience, because of a seared conscience, because of a conscience that is defiled, even in their very actions, in their very words, in their very deeds, they deny the Holy One of God, and they actually believe that they are doing a holy, righteous thing to or for God when in reality it is a crime against God and man. Now just stop and consider the day and age that we live in. That is exactly where we live in. We are persecuted as Christians for our beliefs because someone's reprobate mind cannot handle the conviction. The conviction has reached a place where it no longer bothers them. It no longer, they no longer care because they are right in their own eyes, in their own sight. They are correct. Now, the Apostle Paul helps us understand this a little bit more. In 2 Corinthians in chapter 4, verses 1 through 4, it says, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not. But we have renounced the hidden things. This is what the conscience does. It, 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 it changes your thinking and your actions. We have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by the manifestation of truth, Commending, ourself, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. There is a powerful statement. Paul was literally saying, by our actions, by our good works, by our way of living, it literally is a spotlight on the conscience of the individual that walks in dishonesty, walks in craftiness, even those that preach the gospel, even those that preach the gospel and they use it in craftiness, handling it deceitfully. Paul said, we manifest the truth. We commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Now, if the gospel is hid, this is verse 3, if it is hid, it is hid to those that are lost. Why? Because their conscience has been dealt a death blow. In whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine upon them. And that is what we had read earlier that when the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, when the message of truth, when truth itself or the Holy Spirit himself brings conviction to the heart of an individual, as it says in John chapter 16, when the spirit of truth has come, one of the things that he's going to do is convict, convince the world of their sin. But some people's mind and conscience is so reprobate that they cannot see the truth no matter what. 
It doesn't matter how much you argue, how much you try to persuade them. They are already fixed in a conscience that cannot understand, cannot deal with, cannot even know what holiness is. Because it is so defiled, it is so perverted, it is so wicked and so evil that it takes God's spirit to break through with light, to shine upon them, to be able to see this. But as long as the God of this world, Satan, has blinded their minds, just like the parable of the sower sows a seed where it falls by the wayside, they do not understand it. They cannot believe it. And then if they do believe it, then the enemy continues pressuring them so that one way or another, he can get it out of their lives. And they reach a point where God is blamed for all uh, affliction, all persecution, all uh, temptation, all trying, all testing, all problems, all crises, all changes in life, all difficulties, uh, all all these things, he gets the blame for it. Why? Because our conscience still is not pure before him. Our conscience is still hiding like Adam was behind the trees. Our conscience is still trying to clothe itself in anything and everything except God himself. And this leads us and this takes us to Psalm 51 from verse 1 onward, where it talks about David in his prayer. It says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgression. Why is he asking prayer for this? In verse 2, he says, Wash me thoroughly for mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Verse number 3. For I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is ever before me. How is it possible that it's ever before him? His conscience. His conscience just kept pricking at him. Uh, he could not handle it no more. He finally reaches a point of repentance and asking God for forgiveness. And then, and then as we read the rest of the psalm, we find out how God deals with him and what he asked God to do for him. But I see we're already running out of time. I have yet to talk about Abel and Cain and Esau and Jacob and uh, Ahab and Jezebel. All of these individuals, how the conscience was affected and how it is important to clear the conscience so that the walk in faith can be truly a walk in faith unhindered by fear, which perfect love casts out fear. And remember, we're only made perfect in Christ through the sacrifice that he did. There is no other perfection. If perfection had been by the Levitical priesthood, then there wouldn't have been any need that there be another priest who arise after the order of Melchizedek. But since the priesthood was changed, there had to be a necessity also of the change of the law so that the blood of Christ could wash and cleanse our conscience and that state of feeling guilty and condemned could be dealt with once and for all. Well, consider this food for thought and for the imagination. The Lord richly and fully bless you. Join us on Sunday and we'll pick up along these lines again. In Jesus' name, amen.